Hello, everyone. Welcome. It is the Field Goals Podcast. I am your host, Dana O'Gorman. Um, this week, <laughs> this week is a lot of fun because I don't know. I thought I was going to be doing an end of season review. I thought that we would be looking toward the future, which we are. But we're looking to just next week, to just Saturday. And no one, I didn't expect it, people. I'm not going to lie to you. I really thought that Seattle would be done. On my show last week, I had a special guest, Joe Fankimon, and my one of my quick fire questions to him was, Joe, are we making the playoffs? No. Instantly out of his mouth. It was a fantastic weekend, and I want to talk about it um, with my dear friend and Field Goals podcast co-host, Dan Veens. Dan, thanks so much for joining me. Of course. And likewise, I listened to that show and I heard Joe say that. Um, <laughs> and I thought, come on, Joe, I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say this. <clears throat> I'm not right about much. Um, I like to make predictions and, and sometimes I feel like I have a strong gut feeling one way or the other. Um, I'm probably 50, 50 ish lifetime on those gut feelings. I was telling people all week long, the Lions can win this game. And, and they all looked at me like I'm crazy. And it's because old perceptions die hard and it's the lions, but that's a good football team. They'd been playing well. And I was one that didn't think it mattered at all. If they were eliminated by the time their game kicked off, they were motivated to beat the Packers, whether there were playoffs on the line or not. And, and it showed. And uh, I also didn't think green Bay was, was as good as they had been playing. Uh, it was a fun day. It was a fun day. It was. Now, before we get started, and we're going to dive deep into this a little bit, I there was some breaking news right before we started to record. And this is Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday morning that we are recording this. Um, and they just came out, the Buffalo Bills just released, that Damar Hamlin has been released from the hospital in Buffalo. And I cannot tell you, you know, as someone who works in a hospital, most people know that that's my day job as I work in a hospital. I, I was like, I had goosebumps. I was so excited and so excited for him. Um, they also announced that they um, determined he has no pre-existing conditions. And so it was just the hit that sent him into cardiac arrest. The good news about that is the fact that there is a chance he continue to play football. In fact, I think probably more of a good chance than not that there isn't something wrong forever with his heart. Now, does that mean they won't watch him like a hawk? Absolutely not. Does that not mean they're going to be very careful with this rehab? Of course they are, but it is just good news all the way around. And, we are thrilled. I, I am thrilled um, for him and for his family and for the team. So, and I have a feeling there'll be maybe a little video of him at this Bills game this coming weekend. Think? I think so, maybe just probably. And yeah. then that family. It's, it's a great him. story. And it just, it, you know, for everybody involved, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all the players that were on the field that day, and everyone who watches the league, people that talk about it like us, like mm -hmm. that was such a dark moment. And oh, none of us yeah. knew where it was leading. And, that night watching it unfold, you know, we weren't sure what the outcome was going to be. And, and to, to watch from afar, his daily progress throughout that first mm -hmm. week. And, and you get to the point where you're like, okay, he's out of the woods, he's going to survive this. And now he's laughing and joking and FaceTiming. And, and like you said, it, listen, as much as we, from the outside in, it's easy for us to say, either he's never going to play football again, or why would he want to? That's not understanding how these guys are wired. Exactly. And when you spend a lifetime pursuing something, and especially a guy like that who it never came easily to, late round draft pick, got his, his position this year because of an injury, made the most of it, was just on the up, 
Those guys aren't making a lot of money comparatively. They're not set up for life. They're not fully vested in pension yet or disability and things like that. It's those guys are like the the heavyweight fighters that that don't want to admit the end is coming. They're going to do everything they can to continue playing football because it's their passion. And you know he has bigger things to worry about before that day comes. But but uh, I certainly wouldn't put it out of the question. I, no. I, I'm sure I'm sure that guy today is 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 visualizing the day that he's back mm-hmm. on a football field. Well, I mean, God, when your first question is, did we win the game? Oh, right. my heart. I'm telling you my heart. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead. Congratulations again to him and to the Bills and the Bills fans. They're a great fan base. So I'm excited for them. Um, all right. So let's talk about week 18. So the Seattle Seahawks, um, the situation they were in, they had to win week 18 in order to make it to the playoffs, but they needed a little help from the Lions, like you alluded to earlier. But let's talk about the game Seattle was in. When you were watching this game, there was two things that really I focused on and noticed immediately. One was the fantastic and amazing crowd response to Bobby Wagner and his return. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you couldn't get a more different reaction than there was week one for Russell Wilson, this they were embracing him. He was touched to be back. It was wonderful. The second thing was also about Bobby Wagner and how damn determined he was to make his mark on this game. And I loved it. I loved that passion. But we all knew where the Rams were. We knew that they had a lot of third and fourth stringers running. Jalen Ramsey was still there and still being a huge pain in the ass. And we know that. And that's what we love about Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, there's there was a lot of pieces missing for this Rams team. And yet I will say, instead of completely dominating this game, I was a little disappointed in the offensive side of the Seahawks ball during this game while in a little more impressed with the defensive side of the ball, which is the opposite of what we have been seeing throughout this entire season. Mm-hmm. When you look at the offensive side of this ball, what what did you see in this game? Because it really, there were times where it was a little, I mean, bothersome and disturbing how they were playing. It just was not good football. Yeah. And being in the stadium, it was, um, games like this, I, I, I really appreciate being there live. Sometimes it doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. you go to a game sure. and and it just the game feels the way it feels, and it wouldn't have been a different experience to watch it on TV. This one was much different because in the stadium, it felt like physically we were dominating the football game. Really, it really did. It felt like one of those games that we just needed a player two to to get on top, and uh, and we were going to run away with it. That's how it felt in the stadium. It just didn't feel like at least after the first drive or two, you know, just, just checking in and making sure that assignments were sound. Um, it, it just didn't feel like they had the weapons to really threaten us vertically. Um, you could tell early on that our, that our, our run fits were good and that Cam Akers wasn't going to have a field day, although there were a couple of plays that he popped. It just didn't feel like Baker was going to be able to make enough dynamic plays to make a difference. But then when on the first play of the game, you give the ball away, Right. It changes everything. And that, and that's what the NFL is like. And I, we're going to talk about some of these concepts when we look when we look mm-hmm. ahead to Saturday. It's not always about who has the best roster. It's about who plays the best that day. And we saw it with the Lions and the Packers. And on this day, when you give it away on the first play, and, and I think early on, I don't know if Gino came out overconfident or amped up or, or maybe they... Um, they they put too much focus during the week on that Metcalf Ramsey matchup because Metcalf has dominated them the last two, couple of times out and they wanted to maybe establish that right off the the bat. Right. But 
it couldn't have started any worse. He was going to go to Metcalf on that play no matter what. He wasn't considering any other reads. He should have never thrown that football. There's no way that ball is completed, not 100 times out of 100. Um, and that just puts the Rams in a position where right off the bat, it takes the crowd out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it, it got so quiet. On yeah. TV, anyway, it sounded, it was just like the breath had been knocked out of that crowd. And it was one of the latest arriving Sunday crowds maybe I've ever seen. An hour before kickoff, the stands were empty. Nobody was in the concourses. You could walk up and get a, a hot dog at any line. Um, might have been the rain. Might have oh, been fair. just, yeah. you know, the, the the fact that, um, you know, a lot of people just aren't as amped up at the end of the year. I don't know what it was, but but they were slow getting to their seats. And so right off the bat, when you have a play like that, it kind of takes the air out. But, but I felt it felt like one of those kind of games. And it kind of did throughout the game, too, where that offense, in some ways, I thought those young tackles maybe played maybe their best game of the year. Right. Um, and even the interior offensive line, I thought Gabe Jackson having to go every snap because Haynes was out, maybe played his best game of the year. There were running lanes, um, which resulted in a hundred yard day from Kenneth Walker. It, it, it just felt like we couldn't get that one third down conversion or that one play down the field until the touchdown drive with the touchdown to lock it kind of broke things. Um, well, not broke things open, but it was mm-hmm. that, that, it just goes to show you that we just needed that one drive. And it mm-hmm. felt like that's all we needed because I just didn't think the Rams had the firepower to score. Right. You know, it was interesting watching that on television. I think that there is, because you were saying in there, it felt like they were controlling the game on television. It, it's amazing to me how much the commentators can feed into where you're at with your brain. Mm-hmm. You know, they were talking a lot about a lot of the good that Seattle was doing, but you know, they're only eight and eight. They're only this, you know, they're going to squeeze into the playoffs. And I think that that does kind of mess like, well, maybe we don't look very good today either, you know, sort of a thing. It's, it's kind of interesting that you say that. Um, and I think I'm going to go back and rewatch it now without that commentary. So it'll be, yeah, I haven't done that yet either. Yeah, I, I've, I I've wanted that. to as well and see if it matches up with the feeling I just described. Right. For sure. Um, Gino toward the end of the season, you know, he was so hot and so good. He is still very good people. I am tired mm-hmm. of during that game. It was, and I kind of, I got real mad on Twitter and I don't get mad on Twitter very often, but that fan base flipped so quick between the first quarter and the second quarter. Gino was done. Do not resign him. Do not yeah. do this. And I'm like, oh, I get fan is short for fanatic and we overreact. And I understand that. But it was infuriating to me because it's completely illogical. And this is a division game, which is always way tougher than a regular game, which is going to feed into our playoff game too. We are going to talk about that. And, and I think that we just had to kind of remember it's the end of the season. All this is, you know, things are just kind of wrapping up to a certain extent. And it was a divisional game and the Rams were bound and determined to ruin our playoff chances. And so they were just playing at a different and higher level. And so um, I think that that needed to be taken in. The other conversation that was happening a lot on Twitter that um, I wanted to ask you about was DK. There is a large part of this fan base who is really pretty fed up with DK Metcalf, um, which is funny to me because I think he's hilarious. I don't understand how you could cheer for Richard Sherman all those years and now not be cheering for DK Metcalf because a lot of times their attitudes are the same. But at the same time, he does get real chippy. He does get real mouthy. People say he's immature. Um, and that he hasn't had as good of a season this year. He's a thousand yard receiver. We have mm-hmm. the Seahawks have two thousand yard receivers and a thousand yard rusher. I, 
that is a fantastic feat. And so I find the DK Metcalf kind of backlash a little odd to me. Where do you sit with him? I think he's one of the elite wide receivers in the league. And I think we're lucky to have him. And I think he's worth every penny that we're paying him. Um, yeah. But I saw some of the same sentiment and, and I don't get it. I One guy in my feed said, you know, for what he's making, or he's overpaid because he can't run the whole route tree or something like I, I to my knowledge, the guy saying that wasn't a, a coach in the league or. <laughs> or knows all the routes in the route tree. <laughs> I just, you know, everyone has their different strengths and weaknesses. And, and, um, and, and I just think he's a beast and he showed it this year and he can take over games. And, and I, I still feel like we're just scratching the surface. I, I think there are some games where we can, we can lean on him more heavily. Um, and I think Gino did a better job of doing that than the pre the previous quarterback. I think mm -hmm. his targets were more consistent from game to game. And, um, you know, there were some games where he had seven catches for 90 yards. And so maybe it doesn't stand out as much, but those were huge catches. Um, and, and, and I'll say this, I, yeah, his chippiness sometimes, whatever the players are wired differently. Like you mentioned Jalen Ramsey, he's a jerk. He really, he really is, is. And I love it. He's a great football player and we would love to have him on yep. our team. Right. But on the touchdown to lock it, the penultimate play of the game. If you watch the all 22 of that or the sky cam footage, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a wide angle. DK's running like a, a an underneath kind of deep out or a, a flag route. He's wide open too. But as soon as Gino lets go of the ball, DK knows it's a touchdown and he raises his arms up over his head and turns to look at Lockett. He's celebrating the fact that Tyler Lockett's about to score a touchdown. Mm -hmm. He's not a selfish player. Yeah, there's times he wants the ball. There's times he gets frustrated on the sideline, but that just means he's a competitor. Um, uh, anyone who has any criticism for DK Metcalf probably should get off Twitter. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I try not to tell people how to fan, but right. sometimes I, I don't either. there's it's, ignorance, right? There's an informed opinion and everyone's mm -hmm. entitled to their opinion. And then there's ignorance. Right. Yeah. yeah. The funny thing is, and, and I, like I just said a few minutes ago, I don't understand how you could have cheered on Richard Sherman and then not cheered on DK. Those attitudes are what made those Super Bowl teams, those kind of chips, yeah. those kinds of attitudes. Yeah. And, and yeah, people decided they, you know, the minute Sherman, Richard Sherman was off the team, oh, he's kind of mean. Well, yeah, he's always been that way. That's why I like him. But I think that with DK, I think that they expect so much from him, not realizing that a, the former quarterback did not always use him appropriately. And B, when you have two fantastic quarter or ride receivers, you have to split that equally. And now we have two 1000 receivers, 1000 yard receivers. And so, even in the bigger picture, this guy was taken in the second round Yep. when he was at, uh, for a long time, up until the combine, really, he was being mocked in the top 15, right? First wide receiver to come off the board or one of the first, he didn't just come into the league thinking everyone made a mistake and I'm going to show them. No, he took it personally. He worked on his craft. He mm -hmm. worked on improving the things that knocked him down in the draft and he became the player he is today. I, I don't yeah. know how you can have love it. anything but love for that. Right. Uh, me too. Kenneth Walker, amazing this mm -hmm. season. Also a thousand yards for him rushing. Um, they've really leaned on him heavily in the last few games as the, the passing game really just has not gotten to where it needs to be. Again, I was looking at the stats just a little bit and 
you know, if you look at just the last few games, you know, the highest receiver, Tyler Lockett, 54 yards. The game before that, Dallas, DJ Dallas, 55, because he had that one fantastic run. Um, Metcalf, 81. Lockett, 68. Goodwin, 95. Um, It wasn't until, let's see, it was the Rams game on December 4th that Tyler Lockett had 128 yards. It's interesting to me that for as much as they have seemed to have passed and relied on, you know, Gino, Kenneth Walker has been the star of this show. This is what's heartbreaking to me because I am old softy and that's just how I am is I'm dying to know what this would have looked like with Rashad Penny on this team too. I'm dying to know what that would have looked like with the two of them together. Um, It will kill me if they don't bring Rashad Penny back and yet they don't need to, he'll end up a backup to Walker. And so that, that bothers me so much. Um, but I think that that run game would have been fascinating with both of them on there. I, I don't know. It, it's interesting, but I'm so thrilled. We, we talked a lot about Kenneth Walker at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. and we talked about him because of where he was taken in the draft. And I have told this story a million times, so I'll tell it again. When I was at the draft and I'm sitting in the media room and the Seahawks took him, everyone at the table around me erupted. They were not Seahawks people. I was sitting at the Sports Illustrated table for some reason at the very end. And they were like, that's one of the best picks in the draft. And now they were right. It's amazing, amazing the perception around him. Yeah. And it's all well-deserved. I, I, um, there's been a shift too. First of all, it it looks like he's fully healthy. I I, I still think even last week there was a play that he ran to the outside and I, I thought it looked like he, he lacked some of that, that, um, home run burst. Um, he kind of ran out of bounds, but uh, he looked fully healthy and, and he's mm-hmm. able to make all the cuts and he's, he's running really hard. There was a shift in the Kansas City game. I uh, I even tweeted in the first half of that game, like, you know, this kid needs to cut up field. He needs to stop looking to bounce everything outside. And granted, some of that, sometimes there's just, you lack the symmetry, right? Things have to work together. Sometimes there aren't holes. And against Kansas City and Chris Jones and some of the guys, you know, and it's it's tougher than than others. but he in that second half against Kansas city, when the running game really got going, there was a notable shift in his approach to, to get, to just get upfield and go North and South and uh, for the Seahawks to run a little bit more from under center and a little bit more uh, on the interior, which isn't the strength of their offensive line. Um, And since then it's, they've sustained it and it's become a big part of their offense. And it's a good thing because Gino hasn't been as effective. Mm-mm. and uh, the the passing game hasn't been as prolific. And I don't know, you know, again, I, I want to go back and watch week 18 again because I don't know if the struggle was just, you know, the league kind of figuring Gino out a little bit or how to cover certain routes um, or, or or what it is. But he, uh, those those big downfield plays have been harder to come by. And until the throw to lock it for the touchdown, I would turn to the guy that I, I took to the game and I said, you know, last three weeks, we haven't thrown the ball downfield. We just haven't taken shots. Right. And maybe some of that is just, you know, this is the first time Geno's played a full season in nine years. Mm-hmm. And it's a league of adjustments, right? And and the league has adjusted to what they've seen on tape from Geno for 17 weeks. And maybe, it, it, you know, it's time for us to adjust. And um, And those things have been harder to come by. So it was good to see him take those shots. And there was another leading up to the locket play, there was a, a deep shot to Metcalf over the middle of the field for 20, 25 yards. It was a, a throw we haven't seen Geno make in the last couple of weeks. And so, you know, none of these guys are uh, infallible, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this was Gino's kind of not a wake up call, but just, Hey, you know, maybe I need to just step off the gas a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, that, that this is going to be a little bit more of a grind sometimes, especially as we get into the postseason. And so, you know, there's the, they wouldn't have won these last two games without the running, without the running game. And without Absolutely. Walker. Right. And, uh, I think he's a dynamic player. I think we're lucky to have him. And I don't, I don't, you, you touched on it. Maybe we still will see what that tandem will look like because mm-hmm. I do think the Seahawks will go into this offseason wanting someone as not just a backup to Kenneth Walker, but someone to to work with him in a tandem as a, as a 1A to take some of the pressure off him and just have a more dangerous running attack. I don't think that person is, or that player is DJ Dallas. It could be Rashad Penny. And for a lot of reasons, it would make sense to explore bringing him back. Mm-hmm. Mm, that would make me very happy. Not yeah. going to lie. All right. We're going to talk a little bit more about this running game and the passing game when we talk about San Francisco here in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, I want to touch on a couple of things. Um, so it was just announced today that the rookies, Abe Lucas and Tariq Wollin, were named to the PFF all-rookie team. So congratulations to them. They have been outstanding this entire year. Um, and then um, I want to talk about Quandre Diggs for just a minute so Quandre has gotten a lot of flack this season right without question people are like he's not looking the same he's not finishing tackles there's a couple of places where he just basically looked like he stopped running you know he he didn't look like the Quandre digs that we had gotten used to seeing and in the last handful of games we are starting to see the Quandre digs we thought we had there were people who were like cut him mid-season like it was not good What's interesting to me, I think, and and this is not an excuse. I've been accused of of giving him excuses because people know I like Quandre Diggs. And um, if he's still going to give me my pick six this season, this would be the game to do it pretty please. But because um, that's my thing. I, I just love the pick sixes from him. But here's the thing. He had a gruesome injury. It's been yeah. basically one year from, last, you know, just only been a year now. So it was last January that he had that gruesome injury. It was basically the same, in, one of very similar injury to what Tyler Lockett had broke his leg and yeah. dislocated his ankle. Tyler Lockett was not the same person he normally was the year after that injury either. It took him a full year, if not a little bit longer, to really get back in the groove of that. And it's interesting is that that was easily said about him. People are like, well, don't forget, you know, he's coming back from that leg injury. I didn't see people saying the same thing about Quandre Diggs, but I think that that had a lot to do with it because if you watch him progress through the season, he was getting better. And now one year out, he's starting to look like himself again. Um, I I really, I really like what Quandre brings to the team. I think the teammates really like him. Um, I'm just excited to see if he even gets even better in this next week. Yeah, I, I I think you make a great point. I don't think it's a coincidence he's playing better lately. And I I saw some numbers this morning. Gosh, I think he's one of the top graded safeties. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the top the graded safety in the last the three games. Yeah, and in the last mm-hmm. three games, mm-hmm. number one. And yep. and and um, his pass coverage numbers are outstanding. And and he seems to be throwing his body around a little bit more in the run game. And and um, <laughs> I will say this though. Gosh, dang it, Andre. It was one thing to do what he did against the Jets, but that pick that he had um, uh, just this last week against the Rams, um, first of all, in the stadium, and even watching on TV because he's out of frame at the beginning. Yeah. But in the stadium, I thought the game was over. Right. I, I thought Van Jefferson's wide open. Mayfield's going to hit him. Oh, my God, what's happening right now? The ground he made up 
to make that play is the type of play we'd become accustomed to seeing, but we hadn't seen right. um, uh, the first, uh, you know, the first half of the season. Um, but gosh, dang it. And I've watched it 10 times on replay and it hasn't changed my opinion. If he tucks that ball and cuts up field, he might get 10 or 20 more yards at a time when we needed a field goal to tie it. I think it was before the tying drive. I believe so. Um, and, but he sticks the ball out and points at the sideline, looking back over his shoulder, which takes away his momentum and just runs out. of. I would like for him to put that stuff to bed. Yeah. I I it's one it. thing. He, he handled that interception as if it was a game clinching interception, in which case right. do whatever you want to do. Uh, but it wasn't and every yard mattered and uh, I, I wasn't happy with him about that, but he's no, he's playing, I think back at an all pro level again. And it's been a huge key for that defense. I also wonder too, if it's not just the recovery from the injury, but you know, the, the defensive coaching staff and Pete Carroll have been pretty open this year in discussing how, how often they've had to adjust what they're doing on defense. And they started mm -hmm. out with a scheme change. They had to, change that after the the rough early start and so you wonder how much his coverage responsibilities have changed week to week and maybe he's just getting comfortable with that now too because mm -hmm. um certainly that defense in the way they're playing would would reflect that but um mm -hmm. yeah it, it it's good to see because up until i don't know six weeks ago um if he'd continued playing that way i would have been on the um maybe we save 14 million in cap space right. and move on from this off season but not now yeah. Yeah. Eight. <laughs> yes. When he carried the ball out of bounds and pointed it at Bobby Wagner and he did point mm -hmm. it right at Bobby Wagner, mm -hmm. people were like, it's disrespectful. I'm like, um, they're like the closest of friends. It was just boys playing ball, which in the game we did not need. And yet at the right. same time, it made me laugh because I knew what he was doing, but it's like, okay, <laughs> boys, no, we need to focus. This isn't about that. So yeah, I get it. So interesting dilemma, I think now is what Seattle is in. So you have Ryan Neal who there's a chance he'll be back this week to play against San Francisco. Um, you have Jamal Adams and you have Quandre Dix. Yeah. And you brought up pre-show a really good point that, you know, Ryan Neal's going to get paid. Someone's going to pay Ryan Neal. And he this is going to be a nice little payday for him. When you look at the Seahawks cap situation, keeping all three of them is not a logical answer. And people have jumped all over getting rid of Jamal Adams um, and people know that I'm against that. I, I don't think that that makes the best financial decision this year, maybe the next year. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. You you cannot keep all three of them. Um, and Ryan Neal has really come on this year. Yeah, and and, and last year too. There's yeah, he's kind of become year, yes. he's become the safety net. He's become the bailout guy the last two years. And it doesn't matter if it's free safety or strong safety. He can play either. He can be the nickel guy. He's really versatile. He's a good tackler. He's good in the run game and in coverage. Um, and he, he is going to get paid. He's made himself some money this year for sure. Um, I think they can put as high as a second round tender on him. Mm -hmm. so there's a million scenarios in play with Ryan Neal. You can put a high tender on him. Somebody could sign him and you get a second round pick, which I wouldn't be upset about. But, but to your point, I think it would be a gross misuse of payroll if they pay all three of those guys. And I don't know, I haven't begun looking at what the safety market is or whatever, but let's say, you know, what's Jamal Adams making? 17, 18 20? million a year? Yeah, I think so. Close to 20. Yeah. As Ryan Neal got himself into that seven, eight million dollar a year range. I don't know. There is not people look at and and John Gilbert wrote about this last week, and he and I are going to talk mm -hmm. Sattler cap. 
in detail whenever this season is officially over, hopefully not for a month. And, uh, you know, people look at spot tracker over the cap and they see 50 million in available cap space. There isn't really no. that money is spoken for essentially, especially if you bring Gino back. And so paying three safeties, that kind of money doesn't make sense. And so, um, you know, we just talked about Quandre Diggs. I think he's an important part of your defense. Jamal Adams, I, I think the organization would love to think they can still get some value out of him. Um, and from from everything I see in here, his rehab's going well. But it, that'd be tough to bring all three back. Now, the one thing that that I haven't seen discussed in detail is there's always a, there's always the option to restructure one of those guys. Mm-hmm. It doesn't oh. always just have yeah. to be cut or not cut. Mm-hmm. pre-June 1 or, or post-June 1. You know, Jamal Adams may be open to a restructure where he gets some cash up front, it spreads things out a little bit and lowers his cap hit and and uh, makes it easier to move on the next year if he if he can't have a healthy mm-hmm. season. Same with Quandre Diggs. You can, even though you're a year into that new deal, you can restructure that too. So um, maybe something along those lines. Um, we'll see. We'll see. It could all just come down to how the draft falls too. If they get a guy that they really like at safety uh, in this draft, uh, the draft happens before June 1st. And so right. some of those decisions can be made after the fact and, and based on rehab and how guys are doing physically. So it's yeah. going to be one of the most interesting and fluid storylines of the offseason. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, let's talk about the San Francisco game a little bit. So the Seahawks, obviously, thank you, Lions, and for beating Green Bay for two reasons for me personally. Number one, I'm absolutely obsessed with this Lions team. And I know that you know, a lot of our listeners only focus on Seattle, but if you can watch the hard knocks or you can pay attention to the lines, you should do it because they are a fantastically fun team. And I'm a little obsessed with their head coach. I'm not going to lie. I think he's pretty great. <laughs> um, but also didn't hurt my feelings at all. They sent Aaron Rodgers home in December because we all know Aaron Rodgers in December is almost like clockwork. Like you yeah. can guarantee that he is going to be in the playoffs and do really well. So that was a really interesting um, game and a lot of fun to watch. And I was thrilled for thrilled for that fan base, even though they were so mad at us at the Seahawks for taking away their chance. They still were cheering. You know, we were cheering for them. People sent donations to their charities. I sent money to Jared Goff's charity. I mean, people did it. You know, it was just really yeah. fun. And, and that's the, the great Paul part of NFL fandom. But what that does is turn around and let Seattle go play San Francisco for a third time this year. I my son was sending me texts and he's like, the Lions are going to win. I'm like, yay, San Francisco, because it's like, <laughs> why of all things do we have to play San Francisco again? Do you think having to go back in playing this team that has been so good and beaten us twice already this year, is that a good thing or a bad thing with the familiarity aspect of it? First of all, going back to the initial point you made yeah. when you started this show. This is, we're playing with house money now. Amen. Yep. Nobody expected this to happen. None of us, even the most optimistic of us. And and you and I were, you know, on, on different, I think we both thought they were going to do a little bit better in the win-loss column. Than, I only had them at did. four wins, Dan. Four yeah. wins. <laughs> but there were, you know, you've seen all the videos now and that Seahawks yeah. actually produced one and put it out. All the experts saying they were going to go 0-17, have the first pick in the draft. You had them at four wins. I thought they'd figure out a way to win seven. Um, but nobody expected playoffs and not just playoffs, but nine and eight. And there's three wins that we left on the table throughout the season, you know, and, and, um, and a roster that looks in much better shape than any of us thought going into next year. So this is house money. 
And if they play that way, then it doesn't matter who they're playing. And, and I think the way Pete Carroll's wired and, and the way this team is wired and as in sync as he is with this roster and these guys all believe in what they're doing, I almost think it's better to just play the best week one. Just, just throw away any idea that we might be better than this team. You know, if they'd gone to play the Vikings, even with their gaudy record, you could make it, you know, gosh, they look vulnerable or it's, or, or the Bucs, hey, and second shot at the Bucs and they really haven't played that great. No, let's, let's play the Niners. And I think this is the kind of stuff that Carol thrives on. And if they take that underdog mentality and if they take, because I thought they played tight, you know, we just talked about that. Mm-hmm. I thought they came out playing tight against the Rams um, for whatever reason. Um they look loose in practice. They look loose in, in, you know, the videos that you're seeing of them in the locker room and, and in the weight room and everything this week. If they play that way, and, and obviously if they have a good plan, if they show the 49ers something they haven't shown them yet, they haven't run the ball effectively in either of those games. And we talked about how they're doing that now. And if they can continue doing that, if that offensive line comes to play and, and Geno takes care of the football, um, it's the NFL and I touched on it earlier. It's about how well you play that day. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it is as good as the 49ers are as great as that defense is. And as good as Brock Purdy has been as a fit for what Kyle Shan- Shanahan likes to do on offense. Um, Brock Purdy is playing in his first playoff game ever. The sample size has gotten larger. Now there's more film. Um, he's more of a known than he was when the Seahawks played him the first time. They caught us off guard with some things in that game. But when you throw out the first quarter of that game here at Lumen Field on December 15th, the Seahawks played him straight up. They did. They played well. I think that the stat is that they held him to the least a number of points of, of any of this last streak that they have had, the Seattle. Yeah. And they've been and rolling. With a questionable defense. Yeah, it's, it's all the pressure is on the 49ers. And that might mean nothing. If they just come out and let their talent play and they execute, you know, maybe the Seahawks beat them. If they play them 10 times, they beat them once, maybe twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a betting guy. I wouldn't put money on the Seahawks in this game. But to think that that they're just going to roll over and die and that they don't have a chance in this game is, you know, is just not true. They do. Mm-hmm. They just have to play almost perfectly. And they have to play loose. And they have to make some plays and they have to take the ball over at some point. They haven't been doing that the last couple of weeks. It's right. you know, the key interception by Diggs, but they haven't been getting the ball out on special teams or in the run game. And, and um, probably will have to have a player or two like that in this mm-hmm. game, have to win the turnover battle to have a chance. When you look at San Francisco against Seattle, really San Francisco was really struggling. And, and everyone is saying this, you guys, there's a thousand articles out there. I think Mike Duggar wrote about it. I know Brian wrote about it. I have field goals rule, just wrote an article about it, about how it's the secondary that's been giving San Francisco troubles lately. We have to remember that San Francisco versus Raiders game, you know, Stidham just cut them up, you yeah. know, in his first game for the Raiders. And so going back and looking at some of those blueprints, their run defense has been so stout and so good. And so switching that up just a little bit and really using DK and Tyler could really be helpful for them. And yeah, exactly what you said. Someone else, there was a great thread going on. It's like, let's list all the trick plays that Seattle could use because why not? Just throw it against the wall, see what right. sticks, right? Well, we it. tried that in the first game against San Francisco and it didn't work great. <laughs> no, it sure didn't. But now you're right. It doesn't, it almost doesn't matter anymore. You know, we realize that we are outmatched here. Yeah. In, but to your point, 
any given Sunday. There was a, mm-hmm. um, a San Francisco reporter who put out that of teams that have played each other in the playoffs, and it's the third time they've played each other. So divisional rivals play each other twice, and then they meet again in the playoffs. I believe that it was like 13 to five if they had beaten them the first two times. And so I put that out there. I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance. And that's really what this is, right? Divisional opponents know each other better than anyone else. And they're not afraid of that team because they know them so well. And so I think that that is going to be a huge benefit for Seattle to even make this a competitive game. I still don't believe Seattle is going to win this game. I just think the talent level is so high in San Francisco. But any given Sunday, like you've said, people stumble, people fall. You know, there's one or two plays. My Quandre digs pick six. You know, that could really shift things a lot. Well, and I'll say this. When when they played on the 15th of December, San Francisco was playing as well as they could play. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, Seattle was not. The Seahawks were in the depths of that losing streak. They weren't playing well. Walker was hurt. Um, they just Al they Woods a, was out that game. Yeah. And they and got then, a poor start in both those yeah. games. They had a terrible first quarter. You know, Pete says you can't win, win or lose a game in the first quarter. Well, I think they kind of did in both cases against San Francisco. And so getting off to a good start is key. And that's why one of my biggest storylines in this game is is what what are we going to see from Shane Waldron? Mm. Because I feel like in the second half of the season, it's been a mixed bag. Um, and 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 this this game Sunday kind of encapsulated all of it. Sort of a microcosm of the good and the bad of Shane Waldron. Early in the game, first quarter, we saw a lot of creativity with a lot of motion and, and cool formations. And we saw the Wildcat actually work. It was executed well. and Conceptually, it was sound. And then second and third quarter, I thought we got really conservative and vanilla again. And the game reflected that. And then in the fourth quarter, here come those creative formations again. We're using three backs in the backfield. We're using tight ends as fullbacks. We're using Derek Young uh, as a fullback and doing some really cool things with him. And you talk about the rookie class. I'm excited about his potential too. future. And and like, where was that? And so I want to see a good plan. And, and they got to get off to a good start. Again, they can't tank the first quarter again like they did the first two times. Mike uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan might be the best in the league at that opening script, mm-hmm. at, at creating a plan. We saw it uh, at Lumen Field with the touchdown to Kittle, the the double fake screen, and it was a beautifully conceived play. Um, and then Shanahan, he's taken criticism for this throughout his career. After the script is over, not as good. Mm-hmm. So getting off to a good start, coming out there confident and kind of letting it fly and at least keeping the game in check and keeping it close in the first quarter is going to be huge. And and I'm, I'm really anxious to see how they call this game on offense because mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about where this defense is the last 10 quarters. Something clicked, and Carol mentioned it Monday, that second half against Kansas City. Um, since then, they're, they've been sound against the run. The secondary has been as good as ever. They're getting pressure on the quarterback. They had consistent pressure against Baker on Sunday. And if they can do that against Brock Purdy, I don't know if he's seen pressure yet. He um, doesn't do well when he's blitzed. That's they for can sure. Slow down Christian McCaffrey in that running game just enough and get to Brock Purdy. And they're doing it a number of ways right now. Um, you know, 
So you're saying there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. I think that's what we're going to have to call this episode. So you're saying there's a chance. And the weather's going to take be a part of it. It is supposed to be very raining. That California, that soaking that California is getting right now, that's going to be really interesting to see how that affects oh, that everything. Turf. Oh, that's, I know. Yeah, it's going that to be turf gross. is always so terrible down there. I know. It's not going to be it fun. Could play in our favor. It could. All right, you guys. Well, that is our show for this week. I, I'm, I like that. So you say there's a chance. I so think that there is a chance. chance. <laughs> I think Seattle, you know, like you said, we're playing with house money. The Seahawks weren't supposed to be here. They are here and it's just fun. And I think if people can keep that in mind, it's it's going to be a great game, win or lose. It just is unfortunately against San Francisco, but we yeah. can't wait to chat with everyone about this again next week. Um, of course, Dan will do a post-game reaction show as he always does. Um, and you have, do you have a show come up, a preview show this week? Yep. yep. We'll preview the game and uh, in a little more detail and look at some matchups and, and try to pinpoint exactly what San Francisco has been doing so well during their 10 game winning streak. Awesome. All right, everyone. We will talk to you again soon. Bye bye. <laughs>